Hi, everyone. Welcome back to That on Paper podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm the guest today. Yeah, we've got a really cool guest interview. <laughs> We, if you're newer here, we've we've done this every year for the past. I think this is the third year that we've done this. At the end of the year, we do an episode where Grace interviews me, and then a second episode where I interview Grace. And they're always among our most popular episodes. And I also think it's really fun because if you're a newer listener, you kind of get to know us a little more and like catch up on some of the things you missed in some of the old just us episodes. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of new fodder here, but I'm, I was going to say I'm nervous. That's not true. I don't know. We'll see where this goes. You're in control here. You don't have to answer anything you don't want to. Oh, I'm not worried about that. (laughs) But before we get into it, we're going to take a quick little plug for Night. So Night is our favorite pillow, and their best offer of the year is here just in time for Black Friday. So for a limited time, you can take 30% off site-wide with code BOP30 at discovernight.com. We'll tell you more about it later in the episode. So Grace, before we get into my riveting interview, tell me your hi. So I feel like this week I don't have very much to say highs or lows. I've been just like nose to the grindstone working on my gift guides and my holiday style guides. Like I'm so boring. I haven't been doing much, but I do have two little highs. So the first one is that where I just was before we were recording was I took the morning off and I was Zoe's special friend at school. What does that mean? So they have this thing called special friend day. Every kid gets to have a special friend come to school with them. And like we went, we, it was all outside and we played outside. We built a house, we made a bed out of all, they have these like giant blocks in their courtyard. I got to see her playing with all her little friends and meet some of the parents and also like other special friends, aunts and uncles. It was a lot of parents, like, because I think that most people have a hard time wrangling because it's in the middle of the day. Like I had to take time off. But I mean, I work for myself and I was like, I am definitely being Zoe's special friend. So it was just so fun. She's just like this cute mini person. Her sentence structure is getting so much better. Like she was ordering me around to build her this little house with the blocks. And she said to me, cause the little girl tried to get into the house with her. And Zoe was like, I want to be alone in my bed. And I was just like, I was like, well, you kind of take after me, but also like, um, I'm proud of your sentence structure. (laughs) (laughs) Good boundaries, Zoe. Yeah, it was a great, it was a really great morning. And she's just like, oh, she's just the best. She had about 10 ponytails. I guess Steve, her her dad, my brother-in-law has been doing her hair with like 10 little mini, she looks like a little cyclops with like all these little like (laughs) ponytails sticking out of her head. It's amazing. That sounds very fun. That's a good high. Yeah. And so then another high, which is preemptive, is I'm going to LA Saturday through Wednesday. So when this episode drops, I'll be flying back. But it's my boyfriend's birthday. And I can share what we're doing because, well, sometimes he listens to the podcast. I'm like, ooh, I wish you wouldn't. But it will have already happened. So if he does listen, he won't know the surprise. But we're staying at Shutters for two nights. And I got us like massage appointments and brunch reservation and I just, he's been going through a lot and I feel like this is like the perfect little like treat for him. I just told him I had a surprise that was two nights and that he couldn't know anything else. And I'm still like planning out our dinners, but I'm so excited. So that'll oh, that be sounds great. Yeah. So that's just like a little one, but I don't know. You know how I love birthdays. I just want him to have like a really relaxing, nice two days. 
That's great. Yeah. What is your high, friend? Um, My high is also preemptive, although this in and of itself is a high. My new couch that I ordered in April is finally coming on Thursday. That's so great. I am so excited. I'm so excited to have it scheduled, never mind have the couch. Although this has now opened up a whole new level of terror and anxiety within me that somehow the couch will not fit up the stairs or in the door. I measured. I I have very bad spatial relations. Mm. I have terrible spatial relations. And so I think I measured right. I think it should fit up. It comes in two pieces. So it's a very large couch, but it comes in two pieces. Like the chaise is its own piece and then the rest of the couch is its piece. So it's not actually as huge as it might be um, if it were one piece. I am just, I don't know. I had this happen to me before in, in uh, that one was my fault. In my old apartment in the city, it had a weird corner right when you walked in yeah. and I didn't account for that. They weren't able to get it in. So I'm just, I don't know. I'm living in fear until it's actually here. Yeah. And yes, of course I will share pictures and it is the lounge sofa from Crate and Barrel um, just to get ahead of any questions. Um, and what's your low? I want to hear your low first because I think my low is similar to yours. Ugh. So my low, it, it's not a low. Um, and some of this was my own decision. I bought a new computer last week. So Were you able I, to get the new Pro? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I'll tell you mine in a sec. <laughs> so I have just been continually having trouble with my laptop over the past six months. And so last month I got the battery replaced. It has all sorts of memory issues. Like it's very slow. And then last week at one point, the D key stopped working. Uh, It didn't stop working, but basically what would happen is every time I typed D, like one out of three times, it would do two Ds. And apparently that's a known issue with the Uh, Mac laptop that I had. And so I went through all the troubleshooting steps to see if I could fix it. I like use keyboard cleaner and I, um, there were all sorts of troubleshooting steps online when I Googled it and nothing fixed it. And I was like, okay, I could definitely take it to the genius bar and get it fixed. But I feel like we're nearing four stops of lessons here where like new things are just going to keep breaking. Yeah. So on Friday, I finally decided that I was just going to get a new computer and bite the bullet. And I did. And I think I'm actually going to keep my old computer, because I got the new MacBook Pro, which is, and I got the 16-inch one. It's very large, which I love, yeah. but I think it would be a pain to travel with. So I'm going to take my old one to the Genius Bar and see if they can, like, replace the keyboard or do whatever, because the trade-in value is only, like, $300, and see if I can keep my old one for travel. So even if it's, like, slow or a little janky, it's fine. Oh, that's great. So, you know, it's exciting to have a new computer, but it was an expensive purchase. Yeah. Well, I just had to fork over for the new pro, but it's not coming till December 20th. So oh wow, my laptop is like working like very slowly. I, like I can't run Photoshop on it. And like, I mean, I need that for my job. Um, and like, I'm going to LA with this like janky computer because there's no pros in Charleston and, uh, and I had to order it online and the earliest it can come is the 20th, which is my own oh my thing. Gosh. Like I need the one with more memory. And I, when you add the extra memory, it takes longer maybe cause it's like not the stock model or something. So I also had to fork over the money for the new laptop, but I have to wait until like after my busiest time of year. Like this is the time that I need it. <laughs> that does suck. Have you checked online to see if what you want is available in LA? Like, could you pick it up in LA? 
Oh, you know, I didn't, but I already bought it. Like I paid, I, I like did all the things today. So I don't think I can just be like, actually, can I buy this in LA? I'm sure you could. I could see, and then I could cancel they my order. They have a return policy. It's not like they've shipped yeah, it I out. Yeah, I could cancel the order. But you can just check online. It's super easy. So if you just put in your boyfriend's zip code and see if like any of the stores nearby have the one yes, you want. Yes, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that after we record, just to see. But it was annoying. And also this morning after special friend day, I was like, oh, I'll pop over the Apple store. Like, because I had looked and it said they had them online and they didn't. So I waited there for like half an hour as one does at the Apple store. And they're like, oh yeah, we actually don't have any of those. And I was like, cool. All right. I'm going to go home now. But yeah, I don't, that's really my low is just like having to, I don't like the money is fine. Like I, I, I've been prepared that I was going to have to buy a new computer this year anyway because I've had mine for so long. But the wait, like during like the busiest time of year when I also have travel, because I have a great desktop. I have the Mac Pro desktop and it's amazing, but I need something for traveling. I feel you. I feel you deeply on this this issue. Okay. So should we get into our little interview? Let's do it. First, we're going to start with some book-related questions, which feels appropriate. What is your favorite bookstore in New York? My favorite bookstore in New York is McNally Jackson, which is an opinion that is based purely on proximity. It's funny that McNally Jackson is the bookstore, the um, indie bookstore in Williamsburg. When I lived in the city, it used to be the closest bookstore to me, the one in Nolita. I actually think I prefer the Nolita one. I love that bookstore. I do too. I also really like The Strand, but they've had a lot of drama about the way they treat their employees. And I was so gonna say the same. I yeah. feel awkward saying that, but also realistically, since I moved to Brooklyn, I think I've probably been to The Strand once. So it's not actually it's not actually the one that I frequent the most. Yeah. Do you have a Goodreads account, Becca? I do. I do have a Goodreads account. I do not know what my username is, so I'll have Maddie put the link in the show notes, or you can just search my name and it's the same picture that I have on Instagram and I use it religiously. I will sometimes accept friends from our podcast audience if I recognize people's names from like commenting or interacting, but I I would say I probably only accept like one in 10 or so because I want to make sure that my feed stays usable because I do find a lot of Um, book recommendations through it. So please don't be offended if I don't accept you, but you can still follow me even if we're not friends as like a two-way street, which sounds (laughs) very uppity, but I'm just, I'm telling you how it works. I mean, that's fair. I don't use Goodreads for work reasons, but um, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any book updates for us and anything you could share that you haven't already? Um, Is there anything about the book that you feel comfortable sharing with us? I mean, I can share a little. Um, I don't feel comfortable sharing everything. And partially, I don't think that people realize this. So it's a Christmas book. And um, surprisingly, it is not a rom-com. There, uh, It's mostly a friendship story as the A story. And then um, there is a romance B plot, but it is not necessarily a rom-com. And I've talked at length on Instagram and, and probably mentioned it here too that my, my problem with a lot of Christmas books is that a lot of them are way too saccharine for me. They're very small towny and they're very like cutesy. And so I wanted to create something that was a Christmas book that felt a little bit more modern and is based in a city. So this is based in New York. And that's that's kind of all I can share. But what I don't think that people realize is that the book publishing process takes a really long time. So 
at the soonest, I think that this would, and this is if everything goes right, I think that this book would be available for Christmas 2023. Oh, wow. So this is... Yeah. It takes a while. I mean, my goal is to finish my book, to finish the first draft by the end of the year, and then all the advice says to put it away for four to six weeks. So then, you know, pick it back up, and I think it's going to take me like four to six months to revise before I'm ready to share it. And then the next piece of the process is finding an agent to represent it, and then the agent sends it out to publishers to actually buy the book. And then once the book is purchased and there's more revisions and more edits, and so, you know, realistically, I don't think this book is going to see hit shelves be available at the soonest. And this is assuming that somebody wants to buy it and that, like, I don't hit more snags. Like, it's not going to be available till 2023. So um, part of me, you know, I don't feel comfortable sharing it because it's fragile and it's like a work in progress, but also I'm like, oh my God, people are going to be so sick of hearing about this by 2023 if I keep talking about it too much. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So more to come, uh, but, you know, expect a a long process here and that's the best case scenario. Somebody wrote, I want to write a book. I finally have an idea, but I am otherwise clueless. Where should I start? Oh my God, you're going to be able to predict. Save the cat. (laughs) So... Yeah, buy the Save the Cat book. Uh, There's a a book called Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Brody. Um, The original Save the Cat system is about screenwriting, but this one is translated to books, and it basically breaks down what is the plot structure of a story, and it um, uses a general structure but then has examples from all different types of genres. So, you know, it's slightly different if you're writing a horror, scary book versus if you're writing a love story. And so it breaks all of that down. And that was really helpful to me to see the mechanics of like how a story works and then to be able to slot my story in there. I would say a couple other pieces of advice. Um, I would recommend you outline. I did not outline my book because we do a lot of outlining for rom-com pods. And I felt it was like really freeing to be able to not have an outline and to just be able to do this and see where it takes me. And I regret it. So I know that there's tons of authors that don't outline. So I guess do what feels right. But I would I would put together an outline using the Save the Cat beats and kind of going into as much detail about what happens as possible. Because it's easier to move the puzzle pieces around when it's, you know, a three-page outline than when it's a 200-page book. So that's advice. And then the other thing that I've learned from doing it is like, I think you just need to go relentlessly forward. So one thing that I'm constantly tempted by is to go back and reread or revise things I've already written. And and it's not helpful because, you know, my first draft is really bad. And I've heard from tons of other authors that their first drafts are really, really bad. And the first draft is about getting the plot down and figuring out who your characters are. And by the end of your first draft, you're going to have such a better understanding of your characters and then any plot holes and anything that needs to happen. So if you keep going back and revising, you risk spending a lot of time working on something that is going to get thrown out anyway. And so I think I just need to get to the end and then I'll have a much better sense and then we'll have to go back. Like there's no scenario at least in in my book, maybe yours is different, but there's no scenario in which you're going to write a perfect sparkly first draft. Um, 
it's going to take multiple rounds. And so just like getting through the first one and then going back as opposed to like constantly going back and forth, I think is something that I've done in the past. And now I'm very much trying to resist the temptation so that I, I kind of can get to the finish line. That totally makes sense. I think that's really good advice. Not that I've written a book, but <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Who knows? Also take my advice with a grain of salt because who knows if my book ends up seeing the light of day, if it ends up being any good. I'm I'm a novice at this process too. One last book-related question. What are mm-hmm. your f- top three favorite rom-com tropes? Ooh, okay. I thought about this before. Um, my number one favorite rom-com trope is um, famous person, non-famous person. I'll read anything that like is that description. My second one is um, we're making some kind of like bet and then we accidentally fall in love. I always like something that starts with like a rivalry or some kind of like some kind of bet. doesn't matter what it is. Um, and then do you know what? I'm a huge sucker. And this is like a plot point, not like an overall trope. I'm a sucker for there's always one. There's only one bed. Oh, yeah. I'm a sucker that, for it. You love that one. I love it. I'm like, it's it's usually hot. It's usually like the moment before they have sex. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm into it. There's only one bed. Okay. I keep resisting the temptation to ask these same questions back to you because we'll have a whole other episode when I interview you and who knows if we'll have some of the same questions. So let's take a quick sponsor break. So today's episode is sponsored by ZocDoc. So a few months ago, I went on a post-quarantine doctor spree, and I caught up with all those doctor's appointments that I'd skipped during the depths of quarantine. So I had to see my primary care doctor, my gynecologist, dermatologist, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that the task of actually booking these appointments sat on my to-do list for actual months. And it was especially daunting because I had to find a bunch of new doctors because my old doctors were either too far away from my current apartment, which tells you how long it had been since I had seen a dermatologist, or they didn't take my current insurance. And I thought it was going to be such a huge pain, and I avoided doing it while also stressing about it for months. And it turns out it took me five minutes to find new doctors and book an appointment all right online with ZocDoc. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It is my go-to whenever I need to see a doctor. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Just download the free ZocDoc app, the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. I just plugged in my zip code, my insurance information, and any preferences I had. Like, for example, I definitely wanted to see a female gynecologist, and voila, they spit out a list of providers in your area, and you can read verified reviews and book an appointment all online without ever having to wait on hold for a receptionist. Whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash BOP and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash B-O-P. Let's move on to career questions. We got so many. If I'm if I'm going fast, it's just because I want to get through them all in like in an hour. Sure. Career. So do you have any regrets about your career decisions, Becca? No. I think that regrets are – first of all, I mean, it's futile. Yes. But second of all, I mean, sure, I've had – I don't know. It depends what you count. I've had three – 
I'm either on my third or my fourth career here. And sure, if I had started sooner, I might have been further. But I do not see any scenario in which it would have been realistic for me to say, after college, I wish that I started screenwriting or like making fiction podcasts or or anything. Like it was a journey and, and, and all of these things had to happen to bring me here. So sure, I could be further along, but like I just don't see – I don't see knowing who I was at that time that being realistic for me. Like I just didn't I didn't realize those careers existed. You also didn't you didn't consider yourself a creative person until more recently. Totally. One of the best things about reading this year's questions is so many of them are about creativity and about being a creative person and I'm like, wow, if this were 2019, I wouldn't have gotten any of these questions. Like I did not consider myself a creative person. So, you know, it was a journey of like learning about myself, not by reading a book or doing anything, but just like by having all these lived experiences that brought me to where I am. And like, I don't know, I don't see another way that it would have happened sooner. Totally. Tell us about the TV show pitch process. How has it been and what are you learning from it? Ooh, um, it's been medium. So I guess to summarize how the process works, uh, we have agents who send out a pilot script, which is the first episode of a TV show. So in this case, I'm using the example of Showmance, which was our most recent rom-com pods season, which we're currently pitching to become a TV show. And then like a little blurb about us and like some information about the podcast to different potential buyers in the space. And uh, usually the way, or at least the way that we're doing is we're pitching production companies who would then sell it to a network. So a production company is like the company that's going to make it and the network or the distributor is usually the person that's going to like put it on TV. So we're not selling it directly to Netflix. We're selling it to a production company that would then sell it to Netflix. I don't really have any frame of reference to know how normal or not that is. You know, usually we have like an hour meeting and we walk them through who we are and our origin story. They've already read the pilot, but like sometimes we'll summarize that and then we'll talk to them about what the arc is for the first season and then ideas for future seasons. So, you know, I think we envision a lot of things being similar from the podcast, but there's also a few key departures. So we kind of walk them through how we see the story unfolding and then we have ideas for what a season two would look like and even what a season three would look like. So we kind of talk through those generally. And then there's a Q&A portion where, you know, they'll ask us, sometimes it's clarifying questions or sometimes we had one pitch where they were like, how sexy do you see it being? Like we're really interested in acquiring material that's like very risque a la sex life. And we were like, probably not that risque, but we're open. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's like a Q&A portion um, and that's kind of how it works. And then uh, usually they say nice things about you and how great it was. And um, then your agents follow up behind the scenes and get the real story of, you know, what they thought and, and any next steps. So the process has been medium. Everyone we've met with has been super nice and receptive. Like we haven't had a meeting where it, it we've walked out and been like, wow, that was a huge flop. So it's always felt really well received in the room for one reason or another, there has been no next steps or no interest in buying it. And so I started out feeling like cautiously optimistic. And now I feel like I'm more pessimistic as we've gone through it, at least in the near term. 
So, you know, we've we've racked up a couple of rejections. The good news is, is that at least with one of the rejections, it then turned into a general meeting, which is exactly what it sounds like, that then we had a, a second meeting with the same production company because they really liked us but didn't – this idea wasn't a fit because they had another show that was too similar. Um, and the show that they have actually sounds great. I will totally watch it if it makes it to air. So, yeah, so, like, it's also a relationship-building process. So what am I learning I don't know what I'm learning. I, I honestly don't know. It's been okay. I, I think I'm too in it to be able to like reflect on it yet. I mean, you're just learning a whole new process. Like who, yeah. who would have thought a year ago you'd be pitching a TV show? Like, yeah, who lets us into these rooms? Like it's kind of crazy having no background in entertainment that we're even having these meetings. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's good and it's practice and hopefully we'll find the right fit at some point. You will. I hope so. Okay, so what is your writing schedule like for the book and the script as you juggle all of your other professional commitments? So for my book, um, right now I have a block on my calendar, and I'm, like, very devoted to calendar blocking. Uh, There's an episode on organization where I talk more about how I do my calendar, which is a more detailed process than you might expect. So I have a block on my calendar Monday through Friday from 9.30 to 11 to write. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes I don't. If I have a conflict, I try to move that block to another place in the day so that I don't lose it. I've been really struggling with motivation. So it's crazy. The I have a spreadsheet where I track my word count and everything. After all this hemming and hawing this year, so I've written um, like 42,000 words and it's I've written 60 days out of this year. And I'm like, if I just buckled down, like I could have been this far in two months. Yeah. So it's a learning for next time <laughs> to just like shut up and do it, which is easier said than done. And then in terms of juggling other commitments, I mean, I'm lucky. I work for myself so I can make my own priorities. I've said many times, people have asked me this on Instagram stories, how I would do this if I had a full-time job. And the answer is I don't think I would. I don't think that I would have the time or motivation to be able to do this. I know plenty of authors do. Like Jasmine Guillory wrote her first book while she was a lawyer. So like there's certainly plenty of people who do it. I don't know that I would be one of them. So, you know, I'm lucky that I have the flexibility. And, you know, I try to remind myself that it is my top priority So, you know, obviously I I have to do a good job for my clients and I have to get paid, but in terms of going above and beyond, it is my top priority. So getting it in first and trying to make the time for it because nobody's going to prioritize it if I don't. So, yeah. And then, you know, the script writing process, what do we do? Rom-com pods, I'm usually, you know, I, I fully paused on writing the book when we were doing that. So, you know, it's similar, like I have a writing time and it's actually quicker too. So, you know, I kind of just try to put it into my schedule as if it were a meeting or any other thing. Yeah. I think that's the key with everything is just to treat it like a meeting. Yeah. 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 What is the least and most fulfilling thing about your current creative work? And has it been what you expected? The least fulfilling thing is how much permission I need from other people which was not what I expected. I guess I should have expected it, but I didn't. I did not expect how much buy-in I would need from other people. What I mean when I say that is in order to – I can write a book, but then I need somebody else's buy-in to sell that book 
Or, you know, I could write a script or have an idea, but then I need somebody to finance it. And I guess I just didn't think of that when I conceived of these things. And it is very frustrating. Yeah. It is very frustrating. And I think the further along you get, maybe the more of a track record you have, the more people are bought in on less or just based on your track record. But, oh, it is really frustrating. And I'm dealing with a lot of that right now. And what is the most fulfilling? I mean, I think the most fulfilling is just seeing something that you've made become an entity in and of itself. And that could be anything from like, we wrote these words and casted these people and it became a podcast to, I knit this sweater and it is a garment. Like, it's cool to see that something that you made and something that you like conceived of is its like own standalone thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Like those podcasts that you guys, and I mean, that's the the shitty thing is like you did those seasons of rom-com pods and you had to pay for it yourself. And, you know, you guys sunk in a lot of your own money to do this. And now it's like you have to get somebody else to to buy it. I mean, we can continue to do that, but But first of all, I don't think either of us have the appetite to put in more money. And also like our costs have risen to a point where we can't afford it as much as we could at the beginning. So Yeah, it's just – and I mean, that's how the Hollywood system works. Like, you need buy-in from other people. And so we started as, like, an indie-type thing where it was, like, we're just going to do it ourselves and, like, be scrappy about it. And we've kind of outgrown that model and are now in the traditional model. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this sucks. All right, we have two personal questions. Okay. Are you ready for those? I'm ready. Well, you know what they are, so it's not like I have them in front of me. <laughs> yes. Name something you learned about yourself in the last year that you love and then something you don't love. I'm going to start backwards. So the thing that I don't love is that I've learned that I have very little, I don't know what the right word is, inward responsibility when the accountability is only to myself. And I've struggled really hard with my book specifically where I don't have a deadline and I'm not accountable to anyone to actually do it. And I don't love that about myself. Um, I think Gretchen Rubin, who wrote The Happiness Project, has another book, which I haven't read. I've only heard this talked about on podcasts. Um, She has a book called The Four Tendencies. And there's like different ones. And I can't remember what mine is called, but it means you do really well when you have an external deadline or accountability to somebody, but you don't do well when you only have accountability to yourself. And so I don't love that. Um, what is something that I love that I learned about myself that I love? I think just that like I can I can do these like longer term, larger projects. I think it's really cool to know that like my brain is not like baked. <laughs> That's a weird <laughs> way to say it. But like or you like know, fully formed, like you fully can formed keep- that yeah, that I can learn to do new things and that I can like challenge myself in creative ways. And also that I can do these big things that it's not just like, you know, a week long little thing that I'm figuring out. Like I can figure out how to plot a whole book. I can figure out how to like write a TV show script. And that's been really cool to see myself continue to evolve as I get older. When I, Whereas I think like when I was younger, I might've pictured myself as like more settled and doing the same thing than it has actually turned out to be. And I'm happy about that. Like, I think I would be very bored if I were just doing the same thing on repeat. I think that's when you start to really age is when you stop learning new things and stop challenging yourself. Completely. So it's just gratifying to know that I've done a bunch of new things this year and that I'm able to do that. 
Absolutely. What is the what are the best and worst parts of being single in your 30s? So I left this in. I kind of hate this question, but I left it in. Um, and I'm sure this person did not ask this with any malice. Um, but isn't there something kind of othering about this question? Like you would never ask somebody, what's the best and worst pr- part of being married in your 30s? Like it yeah. kind of, the implication is that like, I, sh- I shouldn't be single. So it's like, hey, you're weird. Like, tell me, yeah. like, <laughs> tell me that it's okay. And I'm sure that's not how this person meant it. But I was like, I think this being person single probably- in my 30s is fine. <laughs> Yeah. I think this person's probably looking for reassurance. I know I get yes. would get this a, yes. a lot um, because there's not a lot of examples for yeah. women who maybe chose not to have kids or aren't yes. currently in a relationship or putting their work first. Yes. And I'm, so, I'm sure you're right. But the question kind of like irked me weirdly where I'm like, if I was on the other side of this equation, like nobody would be asking me this. Like maybe they would be like, what's the best and worst thing about your partner, but not like the act of being in a couple or being married. <laughs> um, the best part is that I can do whatever the fuck I want whenever I want. And I do not have to take anyone else into account. So if I would like to sleep in, great. If I would like to go on a wild trip, great. If I would like to eat pizza for dinner, great. I mean, these are all terrible examples. But, you know, I have complete flexibility and freedom, which is something that I very much value. Um what is the worst part? The worst part is not being able to split rent with somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst part. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was thinking about this over the last 24 hours, and I think that for any other con or for anything else that you could say there's that you're missing from your life from not being in a couple, there's also a con to it. If that makes sense. Like if I were to say having somebody to come home to and talk to at the end of a long, hard day, first of all, that's something that I could get from other relationships in my life and I don't need to be in a couple for. Um, And the second thing is that sometimes when that happens, then like you also have to deal with somebody else's shit too or them not supporting you in the way you want. I don't know. I'm, I'm just reluctant to say that my life is lacking in any way because I am single. Um, I have great relationships outside of romantic relationships that I am able to get the, um, companionship and I have a great vibrator and like, it's fine. (laughs) It's like, it is not as scary as people are making it out to be. I do think people make it seem a lot scarier like than it is. Yes. Um, like I feel like somebody's just waiting. Uh, Like, I feel like there's like an undertone of like, aren't you just so sad? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm fine. Yeah, no, I I mean, I'm not the one being interviewed, but I feel like I dealt with that for all of my 30s. And like now that I'm in a relationship, everyone's like, oh, you just look so happy. It's because of your man. And I'm like, he does make me happy. I'm happy because I moved to the city I wanted to live in. Work's going really well. I live near my family. I'm playing with my niece like multiple times a week. It's not... <laughs> It's not just the man. Like, it's not this, like, be-all, end-all, going to change your life and make you so happy thing. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm and with I, you. And I don't mean any shade to whoever asked this question. It, it, is a, it is a broader thing of how often I see this come up and get asked this in weird ways that I'm like, what are you looking for here? <laughs> I really do think that there's not a lot of models for a happy single woman on the internet for women out there. So I think that 
this person probably meant it in a really good way. But I understand the, the feeling as I've been feeling these questions for the past 10 years or yeah. eight years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a quick ad break. We're nearing the end of the year and I'm already starting to think about my goals for 2022. So maybe you have some big goals as well or want to make some changes in your life and maybe you feel like you need a little bit of help doing that. So you have heard us talk about BetterHelp and maybe you're wondering, is BetterHelp right for me? And we think that BetterHelp is an awesome service that's right for pretty much anyone. But specifically, if you're looking to pinpoint or address anything that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from being able to achieve your goals, BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who might be able to help. And they make it really, really easy. First, you fill out a simple online questionnaire that assesses your needs. They ask you about your age, your relationship status, your past experience with therapy, and what you're looking to address. And then they match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 24 hours. Then you choose how you want to interact with them. You can message them anytime, no scheduling needed, and get a timely response, or have phone or video sessions, whatever works best for you. Something we really love is that they also have counselors who are specialized in specific issues like stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, family conflict, LGBT matters, self-esteem, and more. All told, they have over 20,000 licensed professional therapists. And what is so great is that they're committed to facilitating amazing matches. So if you're first therapist isn't a fit, they'll make it free and easy to switch if you need to. And anything that you share is always confidential. Best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash paper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash paper. Back to the episode. All right, Becca, let's move on to a couple friendship questions. Okay. Somebody asked, what's the most important lesson you've learned since starting the podcast? And they asked what I've taught you, which I'm curious if I've taught you anything. So I took this to learn what's the most important thing that I've we've learned about our friendship since starting the podcast. And I think we I have learned how different we are, not in a bad way. I just would have thought that we were much more similar in terms of the books that we liked and the way that we thought about certain things or like reacted to certain situations. And also I think just learning a lot about how me being an extrovert and you being an introvert like affects us differently. Like I just, I feel like I've learned a lot about us as a pair from doing the podcast that I had never thought about and haven't thought about in my other friendships. Yeah. When we started, I thought that we had the same exact taste in books. And um, I think it's just because we just shared things that we knew the other one would love. Yeah. But yeah. And you didn't spend an hour and a half examining your your different opinions with <laughs> other friends on like niche topics. Yes. And then for what has Grace taught me, I think, I don't know that it's quite teaching me, but I think Grace has exposed me to a whole set of other people that she's obsessed with or interests that she has that I would not have ever pursued or explored on my own. And it's really interesting because I think Every every few months, we have a guest that one of us is excited about and, and the other is less excited about. And in almost every instance, I am completely like won over and I'm like, oh, that was so interesting. And I just like learned something new. So I think having two of us and having two people with different interests, Grace has just like exposed me to many things that I would not have pursued for myself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
the next question that we had was, how do you stay in touch with long-distance friends? Because you have a lot of long-distance friends. I have a lot of long-distance friends. I'm still very close with my whole extended group of friends from college who live all over the country. And I mean, I think the way that we stay in touch is, first of all, group text. I have a group text that that horrifies Grace that does hundreds of messages a day in volume. It's just like anything from like what you're doing right now, random thoughts, links, whatever. So I feel like I'm talking to them all day, every day, even though we're not in the same place. Like they are the people that I go to with anything, whether it's that I'm bored or I have a problem or I saw something online that I think is cool. Um, and the other is my um, my long-distance friends are really, really good about doing group trips with or without an occasion. So like a few years ago, I feel like everyone was getting married and we had so many built-in trips of bachelorette parties and weddings and things like that. But even still, like just even a couple weeks ago when I went up to Boston for my friend Kyle's birthday, it was his 36th birthday. It wasn't like a milestone or anything. And he, you know, just wanted to do Halloween things. And three of our friends flew in from out of state and then uh, myself included. And then, you know, all of our friends, there's like five friends who live in Boston. So, you know, like, I feel like everyone's really willing to travel and like make an occasion out of nothing to like see each other. Yeah. I like that. Make an occasion out of nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Well, this question's really awkward. I didn't write it. Someone said, what's your- We favorite? always get this one every year. It always makes me cringe a little because I hate asking you what your favorite, what's your favorite thing about me? Um, my favorite thing about you, and this is something that drew me to you initially, Grace did not like me at first, but one of the first things I noticed about Grace was how incredibly herself she was. And I wonder if I've said this in past years, but I, it, it's you something have. that I've always admired about you, but then it's something that specifically this year- um, like Grace was a stone cold weirdo. She had all these toys on her work, her desk at work. And I just never worked in an environment where somebody was like allowed to be that themselves or was like that comfortable being themselves. And like Grace was always the first person in a brainstorm to like throw out a really weird idea, like not caring if anyone judged her. And I've like always just really admired how comfortable with herself she is and how like true to herself she is. And I think this year, like you made a decision to move to Charleston, which I know was not easy. And, like, you were, like, I this is what I want and, like, needing to be true to yourself. And I think, like, I just – I really admire that. And I think that that's, like, such a great characteristic. And you're not, like, what do other people want from me? What do – what should I do? You're just, like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. And I really admire that. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. <laughs> it's true. It's weird hearing nice things about yourself. Like, I don't know. I'm not the best at accepting compliments. Um, Me either. It's like – Me either. Yeah. Um, Oh, we have some fun random questions to move on to. Please. So I'm curious about this because I'm always trying to get you to spend more money on yourself. (laughs) I'm like, Becca, you need a Chanel purse. Becca, like what are you getting yourself for your birthday? Someone asked you, if someone dropped $1,000 on you tomorrow, what would you treat yourself to? I knew this right off the top of my head. I would go buy the Sarah Flint Perfect Booties in brown. And I almost bought them last weekend. It's getting to be like chilly weather. And I bought the Sarah Flint Perfect Booties in black like three or four years ago. I can't really remember with quarantine. And they were such a splurge. They were, I think they're like $575. And I think I had a code maybe. So maybe they're a little cheaper than that. 
and they're so comfortable. I get so much wear out of them, and they look so good with everything. Yeah, they're the best. And I have them too. They're so good. Yeah. And um, last weekend, I was putting them on, and I was like, oh, I wish I had a brown pair. And I went online, and I almost bought them, and then I was like, ah, do I want to spend $575 on these? Or, you know, I'm, I think you might have a discount code, but I was like, Oh, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. But if somebody just handed me $1,000, I would do it in a heartbeat. I wish they would give me a code for like 20% off because the code is for $50 off your first pair, which if you're buying like mm. a $300 pair of pumps, that's that's a good sizable discount. But $500 off $575 is like, it's like a drop in the bucket. I know. I know. Yeah. Those boots are great. I have them I as love well. Them. They're so comfortable. I love them. What would your perfect dinner party menu be? Okay. I'm assuming that this person is asking that I'm hosting the dinner party. I'm not just like attending the dinner party. So whenever I host a dinner party, first of all, I want to make something that isn't super labor intensive towards the end so that I can like prep kind of in advance. And that's something that I know how to cook because there's nothing scarier than like cooking something for the first time and being like, will this be good? And I have a bunch of people coming over. So I have kind of like three standbys for the entree. And so it would either be Grossi Pelosi's vodka sauce, and then I would have some kind of like arugula salad before it, or short ribs. I use the Allison Roman garlic braised short ribs recipe from the New York Times. Um, And with that, I would have some kind of salad to start. And then I would have like smashed potatoes on the side and some kind of green vegetable like broccolini or green beans or something like that. Or, and I've only done this once and it was so good. I didn't do it for a dinner party, but I think it would be great for a dinner party is I made cocovan, which I've never made before. I used the New York Times recipe. I think it's a Melissa Clark recipe. It was so good. It was, it took a long time and there were more steps, but it wasn't very labor intensive at the end. Like it was easy enough to make for a dinner party. And then you could like get dressed to your hair while it's cooking on the stove. That was great. Cause it was like, all one thing. You just serve it with bread and you're like vegetables, chicken, like everything. Here you go. And then you might notice that for none of, I I didn't say dessert for any of them. So in my dream dinner party scenario, somebody else makes dessert. I don't like to bake. I'm not very good at it. So I would either buy dessert. And if I bought dessert, if it was warm out, I would probably just buy ice cream. And then if it was cold out, I don't know. I would just go to Martha's and get a bunch of random desserts. But I'm hoping somebody else is making dessert at my dinner party because I'm doing the rest. You'd invite me and I'd make my mom's chocolate upside down cake. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Yeah. And that's like easy enough for great. my like undomesticated ass to make. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a dessert maker. I like dessert, but I'm not – I wouldn't be the person to make it at my dinner party. Becca, why aren't you into skincare? <laughs> I'm not into skincare because I have genetically good skin. And so I've never been forced to be into skincare because of trying to problem solve like acne or other skin issues. And as a result, I am very lazy about skincare. Um, I also have very sensitive skin. So a lot of times if I try a lot of new products or try things with harsh ingredients, I end up, my skin ends up freaking out and I end up getting like an allergic reaction to it. So it is almost easier for me to do less and then my skin is happier. But yeah, I'm just not very into skincare. I assume at some point my skin will start to change and age in a way that forces me to get into skincare. 
but yeah, I'm just, I'm not. And I think every time I talk about this, like so many people DM me. So like, I don't think I'm the only one. I also don't feel bad about it. No, I think it's weird. It's almost like because we have this podcast together, you have to be interested in the same things I'm interested in. Yeah. And also save myself a lot of money. Yeah. Will you ever get a pet? Probably not. <laughs> I I shouldn't have said this. I feel like I just keep having to talk about this over and over and over. I love dogs. I would really love a dog in a fictional world. In no way does having a dog fit into my life. So no, I'm not getting a dog anytime soon. Um, cats. I actually really like cats, but I would never have a litter box in my current apartment in New York City or any type of New York City apartment that I currently live in or see myself being able to afford in the future. Like, I just don't want a litter box in my office or in my very, very, very small bathroom. So no, I probably won't. I don't foresee myself getting a pet in the next 10 years. Yeah. That's like with the second cat for me. Like, I have a long distance boyfriend. Like, I can't shuttle two cats back and forth to my parents' house. Like, one is enough. Yeah, there's like a fictional world in which I would love a pet, but it just, I don't see it happening. In that fictional world, I have three cats. Ooh. Maybe more. Ooh, (laughs) spicy. Do you have, well, there's that Instagram account, like five cats lady, and there's just, she always poses them together. I'm like, I want that, but I actually don't want that because I don't want all that litter. You would just be constantly feeding cats and cleaning litter boxes. It would be disgusting. You would need to have like hired help just to deal with the cats. They would need like a, a cat nanny. Okay, so let's take one last quick ad break. So some very major news. Night's biggest sale of the year is here and for a limited time only. And Bad on Paper listeners can take 30% off site-wide at discovernight.com when they use the code BOP30. So now, now is the time to stock up on everything from silk masks to the most comfortable pillows to silk pillowcases to sleep eye masks and more. I have told this story many, many times now, but as a lifelong insomniac, this pillow has completely changed my sleep quality. Not to mention it has serious skin and hair benefits because of the silk pillowcase. So if you've been wanting one, now is truly the time to take the plunge. Or if you've been thinking about a big present for someone in your life, this is an amazing gift. This is such a great present for that hard to shop for a person, whether it's your parents or your in-laws or here's a good idea. You could buy a set for your partner and then you get to benefit. That's a total win-win. I got the pillows for my parents a couple years back and they love them so much. Plus it's something that you know they're going to use every single night and hopefully they'll think of you every time they use it. I love that. Also, if you've been thinking about masks, which are already 50% off, you can stack this discount and get an even better deal. I cannot rave enough about these masks. They're basically the only ones I wear at this point, and they're so comfortable for long periods of time, like if you're flying. And because silk is hypoallergenic, they also help to prevent the dreaded mask knee. I want to recommend that you don't wait for Black Friday. So deals are starting early this year because of the global supply chain issues and shipping delays. And we want to make sure you get the exact product and colors you want. Another newer product that you might want to check out is the Chill Pillowcase, which is designed to create a cooler sleep experience. It's made from a blend of rayon from bamboo and nylon, which are proven to feel cooler than cotton and polyester, which are the two most common fabrics in most pillowcases. So hopefully we gave you a lot of ideas here, but now is the time to stock up on everything night for yourself and everyone on your gift list this holiday season. 
For a limited time, you can use the code BOP30 for 30% off site-wide at discovernight.com. This is their best deal of the year, and it won't last long. So now we have some things-related questions. I don't know if I know what that means, but I'm excited. They're fun. Great. What is your favorite ice cream? Uh, My favorite ice cream flavor is coffee Oreo. I will say that's hard to find. Also, I would just like to say I have a new at-home favorite ice cream flavor. Jenny's makes an ice cream called High Five Candy Bar, and it's – I think it's like caramel ice cream, and then it has peanut butter swirls in it, chocolate chips, and then chocolate-covered pretzels, and it is so freaking good. And I, like, almost have to restrain myself when I have it in the house because I just, like, want to take it down in, like, one sitting. What is your definitive ranking of coffee creamers? You neglected to say trash person (laughs) coffee creamers, which is what I call them. Um, That's what it's called. Um, Okay, so I would say my definitive top three coffee creamers, and I always only buy Coffee Mate brand, are number one, Cafe Mocha, which kind of makes it taste like chocolate milk coffee. Really good. Um, Number two, but only seasonally, is peppermint mocha. But, like, I can only do that in November, December, January. Otherwise, I, like, don't want it. And then third, I would say, is classic hazelnut. But I will also say that my grocery store does not have a lot of the more inventive uh, flavors. So I'm sure that there's other ones that I haven't even had the opportunity to try. But those are my top three. Do you eat toaster strudels more often now after your restrictive strudel childhood? Um, no, not really. I I had said, mentioned casually, that I was only allowed to have toaster strudels. My mom would only buy them on my birthday or the last day of school or first day of school. Um, and I can say no, although I have had toaster strudels twice in the past two years, which is more than I have had them in the past two decades. So not more than in childhood, but I have had them. I bought them once on my like frantic shopping trip right before COVID lockdown happened in March of 2020 because there was like, they were out of things. I was like, I'm going to buy random freezer stuff. Um, And Rachel had some at her birthday party this year and they're great. They're still really good. Can you give a quick review of the air jeans and have you tried anything else from that brand? Sure. So What I like about the Air Jeans, and I'm specifically talking about the Bomb Pop jeans, and I was trying to find a pair of jeans that were not skinny jeans that I didn't feel like I looked like an idiot in, which is totally personal and subjective. I tend to not like rigid denim jeans because I think that they don't look good on me. So these are super, super stretchy. They're like stretchy through the legs and in the butt, and then they kind of like almost have like a mini boot cut, and they're cropped. I also like that they have three different lengths. They have like a petite, a regular, and a tall length because I almost always need a tall length in cropped jeans because I'm 5'10". Um, so I really like that. And they have like a cool uh, kind of like unfinished frayed hem, which I really like. I will say I think that they probably run one and maybe two sizes small. Um, I don't really know what my regular size is right now because I've gained weight during COVID and I don't, I haven't shopped enough to know what my size is right now. So I would say, uh, the shipping is really, really quick and the returns are really, really quick. So I would say order your size, the size up, maybe the next size up just to make sure that you can get it all in one go and then just return the rest of them. But yeah, I really like them. They wear really well. They don't stretch out. They're expensive. I think they're like $225. So 
Um, if you're somebody who currently buys $30 jeans, like no shade to you, but like, I don't think these are going to change your life and be worth it for you. But if you currently buy jeans that are like $150, then like, yeah, I think these are worth it. And I like them like marginally more than other jeans that I tried that were a little cheaper. Does that I feel like that a good quick review? Feels like a great review. Okay. Have you tried anything else from the brand? Um, I, a while ago, I used to have uh, skinny jeans from them, but then uh, they kept the tall sizes kept being out of stock. So I, mm. I liked the skinny jeans at the time, but I like haven't bought jeans from them in like five years. Totally makes sense. What are your favorite sheets? Oh my god, my favorite sheets are from Amazon. They're so cheap. It's the Milani brand. We'll link them in the show notes. And um, I don't know, it's probably like $30 for a sheet set. They come in every color. They're the softest sheets ever. I will say that they're very slightly, a little bit more see-through than I would like um, in some of the lighter colors. These are the ones that were in the house in Mexico, right? And then you got the recommendation afterwards and bought them. I don't think so. I think these are different ones. Oh, I thought that they were in the house. Remember we loved the sheets and then the yeah. owner gave us the rack and she's like, they're $30 on Amazon. Maybe they are the same ones. And they're like kind of, se- they were kind of sheer. Yeah, they're a little bit sheer. So I either like to buy, I have like a medium blue wash ones that I don't find to be sheer, but lighter ones are sheer, but it's fine. Like I have a, one of those like plastic bed protectors that I'm not sure what it's protecting from, like wh- whether it's peeing the bed or bed bugs, like I'm not sure, but it just like came with my bed and I like use it. Um, so with that, like, you can't see, like, the mattress design through it or anything. But they're my fave. Highly recommend. What are the opposite of your trash person habits? Like, what do you always splurge on? Oh, I'm much more an experience person than a thing person. Um, I would say with things like clothing or household things, like, I'm not cheap about them, but – I'm, like, on the upper mid-range, but, like, I will totally get sticker shock. Like, I will spend $300 on a dress without blinking an eye, but if you were, like, would you spend $800, I would I would curdle in shock. So it's not that I'm cheap about them, but I just, like, I, I'm not super spendy. What do I always splurge on is experiences. So food, I will go out to any restaurant with you, no matter what the price, if it's, like, supposed to be great or trendy or, like, a cool experience – any kind of like cultural event, like Broadway show tickets or concert tickets or things like that. Like I'm always game to spend money on. Um, and also trip. Like I, you know, as long as it fits into my schedule, I'm like almost always down to go anywhere with somebody that I, that I like. I wouldn't go somewhere with like just anybody, but like of my, my friends, I'm pretty game to like spend on travel. And do you have a favorite under $10 purchase? Yes. Well, kind of. So if in my life, if I were if I wanted to spend ten dollars and I was in New York, I would go to Bon Bon and I would get Swedish candy. Yeah. But I realize that if you don't live in New York, I think you can buy it online, but I don't know how that experience is because you don't you don't get to pick it out. But yeah, I would buy Bon Bon candy with ten dollars. Um, Otherwise, I would buy polar orange vanilla seltzer with ten dollars too. Just ten dollars worth of seltzer. Oh my God, that would be great. They're like ten for ten dollars at my uh, grocery store, so I could have ten of them. We're going to wind down with three questions about home and Brooklyn, I guess we would say. Yeah. Um, so if you left Brooklyn, where do you think you'd like to live? I wouldn't. I I think people really want me to have an answer to this, and I don't. There, I don't have a someday place. Like, 
you used to be like, someday I'd like to move to Charleston. There's plenty of places that I like, but there is nowhere that I would want to live. I don't foresee myself leaving New York City generally. Maybe things will change, but I I just don't – I don't have another place that I'm, like, itching to move to. Would you ever move to L.A. to pursue TV writing? Ooh. So this is something I thought a lot about preemptively. Um, So I would say – that kind the answer is kind of. So right now, the way I would like to see my career going is working on my own stuff. So ideas and shows that I develop as opposed to working on somebody else's show. So if we were to sell Showmance, for instance, as a show, I would have a higher level of control than if I just was like, I'm going to go be a writer on the new Gossip Girl. And that right now, and maybe at some point I need to consider that in order to get experience working on another person's show, not on Gossip Girl in particular. Uh, although I would love that, that I haven't committed to yet. So if I had a larger sense of control, I mean, first of all, my understanding is that most writers' rooms are on Zoom right now, so I wouldn't need to move to LA. But you know, theoretically, the writers' room could be in New York instead, if I had some level of control. And then you know, in terms of shooting, I mean, a lot of shooting is happening in Atlanta right now, so it isn't even necessarily that the show would shoot there. And then Showman's is set in London. So I don't even know if it necessarily would be shot in LA. But yes, I have thought about this. And yes, I would split my time between New York and LA to pursue TV writing. I would not live there full time. Do you have any plans to move or buy within New York? Um, I would like to buy in probably the next five years, but I don't think that I will buy anytime soon. And I would like to buy in New York City. I am really happy in my current apartment, and I think that if my rent doesn't increase wildly, I could see myself staying here for an indefinite period of time because I think the amount of space and, like, I really like how I've decorated it. Like, what I get for the money is great. Totally. It's a great apartment. Totally. All right. Shall we get into some end matter? Yes. And Becca, by the way, thank you for being a great guest. Oh, you're so welcome. Did you learn anything new about me? I don't think so. I learned more about your writing process. I think that like we don't talk about like the real nitty gritty of our days always. And I did learn a little bit there. Okay. But mostly things I knew about you. Okay. Hopefully it was new for other people, at least a little. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be. There's definitely things you haven't talked about here before. Yeah. But as your friend for like 10 years, I um, I knew most of it. Okay. Um, Grace, what are you obsessed with? Um, Guys. <laughs> Midnight Mass. Did you watch it? You did no. not watch it. I know it's you, not my kind you'd of hate thing. it. It's the most terrifying show I've ever watched. Oh, it's, then it's absolutely not for me. It just so it's it's um it's on Netflix. It started. All my friends were like, "You're gonna love this. It's crazy. This and that." I watched the first two episodes and I was like, "This is really slow and sleepy." And like, I fell asleep and I was like, "Eh." And then I rewatched the second episode and was like, "Eh." And my friend was like, you've got to just keep going. And so the show is just, it is madness. It is, I don't even want to tell you what happens, but I will just say that when something deals with like the supernatural, I tend to get more freaked out than if it was just like, I don't know, like people alone in the woods, like getting killed or like girls running upstairs and screaming. Um, it was, it's just a very, very dark and um, creepy show. How about you? I bet a lot of people would like that, but that does not sound yeah, right it's, for me. Yeah, um, it's terrifying. So mine is, I made this yesterday. I've made it before, but I kind of forgot about it. I made this knockoff um, 
Zupa Toscana, which is like the Olive Garden potato sausage kale soup. It is so good. Um, it's from a recipe or it's from a website called the Chunky Ch- the Chunky Chef. Um, it is so good. So just if you're a soup season person, I'd like to highly recommend this, and we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, and let's talk about what we're reading. What are you reading right now? Oh my God, Grace, I've had so much good reading that I'm really excited to talk about. So I've been reading a few things that are coming out in December. I've been doing some pre-reading. So I told you last week, I was reading this book called If This Gets Out by Sophie Gonzalez and Kale Dietrich. And that one is about the two members of a boy band who um, have a romance. And it's YA. It was so good. I loved this I think this is going to be so popular. I mean, first of all, because it's kind of like One Direction fan fiction, but also I just thought it was really smart. Like it didn't feel very YAE because nobody's in school. They're like 18, but they're not young, Mm -hmm. young adults. And I just also thought that it had a lot of really interesting themes about fame and like the toxicity of fame. And it was just, it was really well done. I loved it. I don't think this one is for you. But I think a lot of people will love this. But I do think you'll love the other book that I read. So I read this book called Smile and Look Pretty by Amanda Pellegrino. And I think, first of all, I think the title and the book cover both do this book a disservice. Both of them make it seem to me like a domestic thriller, which it is not. So I would describe the book as Gossip Girl meets The Morning Show. So it's about four assistants who all work in New York City in entertainment One of them works in publishing. One of them is an assistant to a famous actor. One of them's a writer's PA, and one of them works on a morning show. And they all have, like, abusive bosses, male bosses, and they're all abusive in different ways. Like, one is sexual abuse, but then – or sexual harassment, and then one – and then, like, others are, like, verbal abuse or other kinds of things. And so they start this website uh, called 20-something to anonymously – report on their bosses and it gets to, it gets like gossip girl where they're getting tips from other people too. It was so good. It was really, really good. Um, it comes out at the end of December. I highly recommend it. I think it's going to be a really big book. The one thing I will say is to stick with it. At the beginning, I was very confused because there are four girls and they have four bosses and I couldn't remember who was who or which boss went with which person. And I was, I found it a little confusing, but I, I got into it and like the, the plot and the story is so good. So, so good. So I really recommend that. And then I read this other book and I read this book in a day. It came out earlier this year and I totally missed it. And um, somebody sent me a copy and it's been sitting in my pile and I don't know why I picked it up, but um, it's called Palm Beach by Mary Adkins. And I don't know why this book doesn't have more hype. I was not intending to read all day and I just, I couldn't, every time I put this book down, I kept being like, I just need to read another chapter. So it's about this young couple who have a baby who move from New York City to Palm Beach. And the husband is an out of work actor and he's been like, being a caterer on the side. And he ends up accepting a job to be an estate manager, which I guess is kind of like a modern day butler for like a billionaire family in Palm Beach. Then his wife also starts getting sucked in. His wife is a journalist who writes for New York Magazine and her beat is income inequality. And she also gets sucked in, even though she like doesn't approve of this whole thing, writing the memoirs for the rich wife. And like there's all kinds of like rich people drama 
I don't know how much of this was like researched versus made up, but it was so entertaining and so quirky. And like then they need to like rely on the rich people for something because of like an emergency that comes up. It was so good. It was really satisfying. It's not like a thriller, but it's like there is like there's pace to it. Okay. I think Ashley Spivey had this on her story too. Oh, really? I loved it. Yeah. And I hadn't heard of anyone else reading it. So I like, I don't know why. I don't know why it's not more. I, not more. I'll tell you, I haven't been getting any advanced copies really since moving. And I, um, I, I I miss that slash don't miss that because it's nice to not have the books piling up. But those last two you mentioned sound really intriguing. I had to request a couple of oh, them. Oh, okay. I, I like have been doing some research to see what I'm interested in and then requesting. Oh, okay. I don't do that. Yeah. What about you? What have you been reading? So first of all, I'm about halfway through We're Speaking by Hitha Palapu, who's our friend. Um, there was a party for her here in Charleston, and I actually got to like moderate it and ask her some questions about her writing process and about, you know, the inspiration behind why she wrote it and kind of the she's had this like really unique kind of mentorship from afar approach with Kamala. Like I feel like Kamala's ex- inspired so many of the events in her own life. So it was fun interviewing her. And um, I'm about halfway through and really enjoying it. I think it's fun learning more about Hitha, who is our friend, but also it's been great learning more about Kamala. I've learned a lot about her and also about a lot of Hitha interviewed like a ton of women for her book. Um, I'm actually interviewed in a chapter about being an aunt and like not wanting kids, which was cool. But she interviewed a lot of amazing women, um, and I'm loving learning about them as well. So I'm yeah, actually, I'm also slowly making my way through this, and I'm really enjoying it, and also realizing how little I knew about Kamala Harris. Same, and I think I'm going to give this book to my mom and both of my sisters because I just think it's a great gift for any um, woman in your life. It's really. Yes. It's, I also think it would be a great gift for like a goddaughter or like yeah. a niece or somebody because I think it's very inspirational. Yeah. Um, about the stories of both Kamala Harris and then also the other women in the book. Like it would be a good aspirational career book for like a tween or a teen girl. And, you know, one thing that she stressed, and especially we stressed this at the party, is like it's because, you know, the South is – to stereotype the South is more conservative, although Charleston itself is quite liberal – um, it's not a book about policy. It's a book about, it's kind of like a guidebook for like finding your voice. So really enjoying that. It's, it's a, it's a pretty short read too. Like I, mm-hmm. I'll sit down and read like a couple chapters and be like, oh, I've like made a, ch- a dent in this. And then I'm also reading Garlic and Sapphires by Ruth Reichel. I'm about halfway through that. That is a memoir of her time at the New York Times as the food critic there, which is fascinating. She, like, it was just so interesting. Like, she was recognized everywhere she went. So she, like, enlisted the help of a costume designer to, like, create disguises for her. And it's just, like, it's such a fun read. And I'll read anything that she writes. And then lastly, I just picked up You'll Be the Death of Me by Karen McManus, who's written tons of books that we really like. Oh, um, I, I haven't picked that one up yet. What do you think? It's great. So I'm, I'm, I picked it up like two days ago and I'm already like 70% through because it's just such a fast, fun read. And it's about – I feel like all of her books are kind of about like a group of – 
high school students and like some kind of like drama they get themselves into. And this one, like, you know, I feel like um, one of us is lying was kind of like the breath breakfast club, but with murder. This one I kind of think is almost like Dawson's Creek, but with murder. So these, that sounds great. I am in. So there's three teenagers. There's like a romance between two of them. Um, and then the other one is sleeping with his teacher. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it, it just made me think of like Joey and Dawson and the, and they're kind of like crushed on each other. And then Pacey who is sleeping with the teacher. Um, and they all cut school together and follow one of their classmates to see him being murdered. And the book is like unraveling what happened and, and how he got murdered. Because since they all skipped school that day, they're then on the hook as suspects. So oh, it's great. I mean, everything Karen J. McManus writes is wonderful. But um, this is a really fun one and I'm really enjoying it. And if none of those appeal to you, we also have our November book club episode next week. And we're reading Ghosts by Dolly Alderton, which is a book about a a woman. uh, It's a British rom-com-ish. Not that it's British-ish, but that I don't know if rom-com is the best descriptor. It's about a woman in her early 30s who is recently out of a very long-term relationship and has decided to dive back into the dating pool. And she goes on uh, one date with a guy from a dating app. And he tells her on their first date that he's going to marry her. They like start dating. It's going great. And then he totally ghosts her. And, um, the book is about, it's about her whole life. It's about her dating life. It's about her friendships. It's about her relationship with her parents. Um, it's just a really interesting slice of life book. And I, I think that it is the most accurate portrayal of modern dating that I've seen. I'm so excited to talk about it. I have so much to say. Um, So we're going to be talking about that next week. And don't worry, I'm also going to interview Grace in, I think it's in two weeks. Yes. So I'll put a question box up on Instagram to solicit questions when I'm ready. All right. Thanks, guys. If you want more of us, go to our Facebook group, which is just Bad on Paper. If you search that on Facebook, we're also Bad on Paper podcast on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and my blog is thestripe.com. And I, your lovely guest, am on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And uh, Rom-Com Pods, which is the series of fiction podcasts that I host, is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And our most recent show is called Showmance, and I would love for you to check it out. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.